Hello, hello, and hello, everybody. Welcome back for another episode. If not now, when? In today's show, I am so beyond excited to introducing Jason on the show with us today. He is a bio strategy leader, an active early stage investor in the life science and digital health sector. He invests in a startup at intersection with technology, biology, and consumerization of health. In addition, Jason also serves as a co-fund manager of the San Diego Angel Conference, an investor with New Fund Venture Group, a mentor at both NextCube Digital Health Accelerator and the Illumina Accelerator. He's also a creator and co-host of the Austin Next podcast, an exploration of Austin's transformation into the next great innovation powerhouse, and serving on the board of director for Bio Austin CTX. With that, everybody, I am so beyond excited. Please join me in welcoming Jason to the show. Amazing! Well, Jason, well, I'm so excited to have you join us today. I'm really excited to be here. With that, let's jump in. Let's talk about you and how does all the magic begin for you? Well, it started, I think, when I was a kid. I'd always really wanted. I was very focused, and from that focus, whenever I got off the focus, it usually put my my kind of life in a tailspin mentally. And here's kind of the point that I was going to make. So. When I was in starting in seventh grade, I found out about DNA, molecular biology, and I was like, "This is the coolest thing ever!" And I want to be a scientist and play mad scientist for a living. And it was going to be that was it. That was the direction from seventh grade on till about second year of college. So I was very, very focused. This is what I wanted to do. Everybody in theory told me, "Of course, that's what you want to do." Of course, I go back and. They were like, no, we we, ne- we knew you were never going to be a scientist, and so I went. To, you know, I went to college to get a molecular biology degree with the intention of going and getting a PhD, and I'm working in a cancer biology lab, which, if anybody's been in those kind of molecular biology labs, your job, especially at the level as a college student was, I was putting clear liquid in one vial to another, occasionally mixing it, hoping something showed up, and I was like, something's not. Clicking here. I also, to be honest, was really, really bad in the lab. I'm taking structural biochemistry, and I'm like, I, I don't care why proteins fold. I just know that they should. And I remember having my uh, talking with my postdoc and saying, "Okay, what is it that we do here? What is what is the big goal?" And there was that moment where he was like, "Oh yeah, we you know we're looking at surface proteins, and here's where it kind of comes into where it could possibly for cancer medications down the road." And it was an amazing best day that I've been in the lab for a year, and the next day I went back to pipetting, and I was like, "Something's wrong. This is off." And I and I quit. And I was like, "Okay." The, my entire life at that point, obviously I was relatively young. Thank God I did this in in undergrad rather than halfway through my PhD. Was okay. I wanted to be a mad scientist. I wanted to do this kind of thing. Science was not what I in, intended to be. Of course, I always joke now. I married a PhD instead, so it's a very different kind of path. And so. As I said, this is one of two times it happened, kind of my career, where I was put in a fog, right? Not really knowing what I wanted to do yeah. because this path I'd been on for seven years, eight, or at that point, was was kind of disrupted. Best thing that happened to me: um, one, 
uh, my father told me I had to take an economics class in college. So I took lower division macroeconomics. I also was always had been a good writer. And so I said, okay, I just need to graduate at this point. So I switched over to, to a writing degree. And then the next key things there, one is I took my macroeconomics class. I didn't take the final and got an A. I was like, oh, well, this stuff works. I know how to do this. And I decided I got really interested in game theory and to take game theory as a class was basically as many classes it took to get a minor. I then got a job in PR for life science companies. I'm like, oh, the business side of science. This is the stuff that I want to be doing. And so that kind of set me on the trajectory for the next, you know, mm. 10 years when, you know, got an MBA, worked for Amgen, worked for Beck and Dickinson, worked for a big CRL called Covance, which is now part of LabCorp, and really kind of understanding and, and enjoying that piece of things. So that was my career for many years. And underpinning a lot of that was the thought process of wanting to be an entrepreneur. So I went to back to business school with the at a UC San Diego. I was the second full-time graduating class. So this was like a new business school with entrepreneurship at its core. And I'm like, yeah, I'm going to, I want to go be a CEO of a startup company, right? That was really what I wanted to do. And in my head, the path of that was, okay, you're at a large corporation. You get to be VP at some point and you move over. And now you say, I've got the credibility. I can go raise money in X, Y, Z. So I'm at Beck and Dickinson. I was there for about six years. And there was a magic moment when the light bulb hit that I am never going to become a vice president here. It's just not in the cards. It was not kind of the trajectory that was going to happen. What was that moment? I think it was when I was on my eighth boss in six years and just looking at the opportunities in front. And it's look, the people at, at BD and where I was working are wonderful. It's great products that they do. Mm -hmm. It just, there wasn't, I wasn't the right fit to be able to kind of climb the ladder there, right? And, um, which is fine. So I was like in that fog again, just like back to the moment where I was like, I, I don't know what I want to be doing, right? And um, this isn't kind of my, my whole trajectory has kind of gotten thrown out of whack, right? A piece of advice that I give, and I'm a big fan of it, is executive coaching. And I was told that this might be an interesting thing to go do. Now, I'm a little crazy. And I went and I sent out a proposal to 45 different coaches, narrowed down the responses to 10, interviewed those 10, had second interviews with two, and eventually came down to have an executive coach. Wait, so, so they coach you or you coach them? They coached me. So I was going to look to see, like, what is it they want to do next? Um, you know, wow. as you can see a lot of these trajectories, my father was an executive coach for a while. So he gave me this kind of advice. You see him kind of pop back into my life many times in this kind of case and where we kind of work together, which will lead to kind of some of the stuff we're doing today. And so, as I said, I went through this, I had a whole Excel sheet with all these questions on how to narrow it down. Such a geek. Uh, it's, <laughs> so it's funny on that kind of said, they always say like opposites attract and sometimes, but sometimes they double down. So the moment that, um, I think our families knew that there was a little bit something crazy about my wife and I together is when we were selecting where our honeymoon was, it was a 25 column, 45 row spreadsheet. We had it down at the, <laughs> at the room level of like with this type of room at this resort. And so, but I was, we had a wonderful honeymoon, so it all worked out, but yeah, she was all into like the giant spreadsheet and how we kind of figured this out. So I love that. <laughs> It was, yeah, sometimes you're supposed to have those opposite things and there are yeah. definitely areas that we, uh, that we balance each other out and there's other ones where like, no, no, it's, it's a doubling down. So if you're not in, if you're not into this kind of thing, then you gotta get, you run. So 
so I went through all that, got a wonderful coach. And, you know, she asked me the question of, you know, you've talked about being an entrepreneur. What if you just go do it now? And I was like, okay, that wasn't the intention. We was path A was going up the corporate ladder, moving over. And so, you know, my background is all in strategy innovation. So what did I go do? I put together a PowerPoint presentation uh, about where the company would be in five years. So this is the second big aha moment of my life compared with the, like, I don't belong in a lab. We go through the presentation together. And as anybody who, like yourself, who's seen funding decks and seen like, there's not a product or problem anywhere in this. It ended up being more about trends and things that I was interested in. And that's when that moment goes like, oh, yeah, I don't think I want to be a CEO. I think I might want to be more of an investor because these are trends that are interesting to me. It was the beginning. It was the, it's funny because I have a much more solid and structured investment thesis now. But if you go back to that deck, you kind of see the beginnings of it in there. You know, I like horizontal technology like AI, 3D printing. That's still kind of a lot in that. And so that was that kind of second moment for me of like, okay, how do I get into this? So I was at BD. I left BD, went to a big genomics sequencing company called Illumina doing commercial strategy there and started looking at how do I get into the investment space? Because obviously everything that you read about in the news, millions of dollars, checks, large VC firms. I'm like, there's this thing called angel investing. I don't know what it is outside of like the big super angels. So I started researching uh, in, I was in San Diego at the time. Uh, and there was this group called Tech Coast Angels, which is an amazing group, but it's a funny story as we go with there, right? Uh, and I had heard through the grapevine and the what they had at the time was like, oh yeah, you have to do twenty-five to fifty thousand dollar checks twice a year is our expectation. Like, um, no. <laughs> I'm just getting into this. And you want me to be spending how much? That's not gonna go over with the bank of my wife. Um and so so right at that exact same time, there's an article that comes out in the San Diego Business Journal talking about something called the San Diego Angel Conference. And the entire pitch of it, and this was the first time that it had been done in San Diego, but it was a concept that had been done, was we have a special purpose vehicle. So you have a small per unit cost. And it's the idea was it's structured as a pitch competition that takes place over about three months. But at the same time, the investors are learning by doing. So they're whittling down from 300 to all the way down to the two to five that are invested in. So it's a real learn by doing. So I went, you know, back and said, okay, it's a $5,000 check. I'm like, we'll treat it as an education expense. I'm not going to see any of this ever again. And we can kind of go into that. And so we, I go and I, I go in and in the span of, so this is December of 2018 and, and the actual competition, the actual final day of it was in March of 19. Between December and March, I went from being a participant to a due diligence lead to one of the co-fund managers. I was like, I really like doing this. I like catalyzing innovation. I like figuring out all this stuff. So I have some close friends who are still from that. I did it for a number of years. And that's kind of when that other light bulb kind of solidified and like, yeah, I really like the angel investing thing. Um, there's a back, a funny story with the whole, uh, tech coast angels. Uh, there was a 
article about the Angel Conference and I was quoted about kind of my journey there and what I said about TCA. I'm like, this is why it didn't fit. And of course, the uh, the head of uh, TCA, who I'm very close with now, kind of reached out to me and said, this isn't true at all, <laughs> or at least hasn't been true for like five years. So, um, and I can talk at length about, I think the models of angel groups are changing. And one of the big things that TCA has done is created a annual fund, which really brings down the barrier for people to come in. And mm-hmm. they're like, yeah, you participate in the fund. That's kind of how you get in. And so I was a member of TCA for four years. It's now called New Fund Venture Group, um, but it's uh, it's kind of an amazing group. So yeah, did that, really got into the angel investing. And that's kind of how I kicked off at least to where I am today until about 2020, this little thing happened in the world, you know. You might heard of. Yeah, you know, <laughs> shut down schools, change things up. And so, yeah, so that was kind of the next big inflection. It's 2020. I'm in San Diego. Some context, we had we had Austin on the brain for a number of years, but it was always kind of in the back. So, like, for my wife, UT undergrad was her second choice. For grad school, it was her second choice. And then actually in, you know, I haven't really talked about this much, you know, on air – in 12, I'd accepted a job offer here. We were set to move. We had a downtown apartment um, all set up. Company went through a horrific quarter, and uh, they actually rescinded the offer. Oh. So it's one of those things. It happens. It, it was fine. Um, so I was in L.A. at the time, and then, so that was then eventually led me to Beck and Dickinson. About six months later, we were there. So things worked out because we are in L.A., back in San Diego, a lot of fun. But it was always kind of back there, like, oh, we'd love to go to Austin one day. But in reality, it was kind of like, well, one of us has to find a job. The other one has to quit. It's not like we're actively looking in Austin. So it just kind of was back there, right? So 2020, everything shut down. Um, bit frustrated with a lot of the things that are that are going on. And at the time, which ended up being changed – both of the companies that, um, you know, my wife and I worked for were open to remote work. And my job at the time was all co- was global commercial strategy. So I'm like, OK, so if I'm talking to Australia or China or the UK or the East Coast, I'm just changing time zones. So I just got to do different math. Right. So we decide that we're going to uh, we're going to do it. Right. So we decided in the summer of 2020, we're going to move. We decided a little bit too late in the year to not disrupt the kids school. So mm-hmm. we decided to move in December, kind of during winter break. And um, yeah, that was how we kind of ended up here in December of 2020. Wow, what a journey, Jason. I'm just amazed by, by, the, by, the, by the journey you took and most important, how intentional you are. And I think you mentioned about a couple of friction points in your, in your life, whether it's that moment in college or that moment in the corporate. And I think not only you have that intuition, realize something is not sitting right, but most importantly, you having that courage to acknowledge that. Because oftentimes we just like, ah, oh, something's wrong, but maybe I'm just too stressed. Oh, well, everyone else is doing it. So I might just probably just have a off day or whatever that is. But you having that not only intuition, but you really having that courage to honor that, to investigate that. And in the meantime, do the homework, with a fancy spreadsheet, find the right people help you to really navigate finding exactly the path that light up light you up. And I think that's so incredible and so so refreshing. I love how in retrospect it 
like anything else, looks like a lot more of a straight line than it was, right? Versus the, you know, I spent almost a year, I think, at that lab and just being like, when's the... When's the cool stuff going to happen? When's the thing that I kind of envisioned that mm -hmm. I remember getting into those upper division classes and, mm -hmm. and just look, there's a skill set. I, you know, when I was at Illumina, I remember taking like a, a, a four hour training course mm -hmm. to understand how our companies are dealing with our reagents. And I am really, really bad in the lab. Like there's a moment that we're, we're, we're putting the stuff together. We're a couple hours in like, we, we should test, you know, this is in, we're pipetting into, you know, uh, wells. They're like, we should, we want to test the quality of how these things are going. I'm like, I can see with my eyes that the size of the, in the amount of liquid I put in each well is different. Oh my God. Like <laughs> you don't need to test for quality. I am really, really bad in the lab. I'm great at supporting scientists. I'm great at thinking about commercialization and strategy. You put me near any sort of lab stuff, I'm just not good at it. There's something, it is an absolute skill set that kind of goes. Was it hard that moment for you to realize in that? At the moment you were in the lab environment, that's what you do. That's kind of quote unquote your identity-ish. Oh, it's awful. It was this that moment because the immediate next was a fog. I'm like, I spent, so the negative on the, the planner in me and being intentional yeah. is when things go off the rails, there's that. Now, the maturity, what I've had in life is that that kind of snapback time of because especially in any sort of environment, plans go away, right? Plans go off. You're able to kind of snap back into that. But mm -hmm. when I was 19, mm -hmm. I was like, oh, my entire career and life plan <laughs> is not what. I had wanted and I, and I laugh and yeah. I always go back because I remember I went back, I, I have a younger sister mm -hmm. and I went back to her, um, you know, high school graduation and I saw, you know, my chemistry teacher, who I remember was one of my, one of my best teachers and, I, and everything. And I was like, yeah, you know, I, I'm switched over to the business side and doing all these things. He's like, he's like, oh, of course you did. And I'm like getting this sense of like, why didn't anybody tell me this? Like, yeah. if you all knew I was not going to be a fit for the lab, but like, mm -hmm could have helped a little on the uh, on the fog and the things but sometimes you have to go through these kind of challenges and you know crucibles yourself to at least you know see i mean mm -hmm. i as as anybody it's, it's something to come to a realization yourself mm -hmm. if somebody points it out you're going to have that automatic defensiveness of like no 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 i know what's right i know what's best which is one of the hard things about especially being um an investor, which mm -hmm. part of that, a lot of times, I you know, I try, I want to be the quote unquote smart money. I want to be able to provide something more than a check, and that's so providing advice, providing strategic direction, providing those kinds of things, and that tension between an entrepreneur and the investor, because it's not just a well, you shouldn't do this, you know, you should do a X instead of Y, you know, one, you as the investor helping, and you're there to kind of coach mm -hmm. and then also coachability is a key thing for mm -hmm. you know entrepreneurs and being able to there's a reason you surround yourself there's a reason you you want again the quote unquote mm -hmm. the smart money you just want checks that's something else and that's maybe fine but you know usually it's always the thing you know you don't want to be the smartest person in the room you want to have to surround yourself with people who know at least in different areas more than you mm -hmm. i love that so the great side we talk about investment so what do we invest today and if folks want to find you How's, what does the path look like? Sure. So, as I said, I've been, my background is all in, you know, every type of life, drug, diagnostic, device, consumer, software. I, I'm sure it's some, there's something I haven't touched. I, I generally not have been in like third-party payers, but it obviously affects all of us. And for me, it's a couple of key 
trends that are really driving uh, mm-hmm. kind of the things that I'm doing. So one is kind of getting back to the whole lack of PhD is, you know, I call it like the tech bioemergence. So really is I like those horizontal technologies, AI, 3D printing. At the same time, we have things like CRISPR and multiomic sequencing. So we're understanding everything and technology and biology are beginning to fuse, right? You're seeing things in, so, you know, on, we had Ben Lamb on from Colossal Biosciences on our podcast a, a couple of weeks ago. And there was this kind of great moment. We're talking about the tech stack in biology. I'm like that term in the bio sector wasn't used five years ago, but now you're thinking about how do we read DNA? How do we write DNA? What are the applications that build on top of that? So I think that is something that's really interesting to me and the disruptive piece of it. The reason I mentioned like the PhD is so like, I generally don't invest in traditional therapeutics because I don't have the scientific underpinning to say, okay, you've told me this pathway and yes, I feel like it's going to work or no, it's not right. Like I'm invested in one therapeutics company only because the people surrounding it and the opportunity, I'm like, if, okay, they think it's going to work. I think this is a good opportunity, but that's a rare thing. So one is this kind of tech bioconvergence. The second component is I call it the, the consumerization of health. And so it really is as we think about how we deal with healthcare is going through changes. Some of that's technology driven, so we're having better preventative care. Mm-hmm. Um, I think something that was, especially someone who came out of sequencing, there are these co- companies called the liquid biopsy cancer screening. So it's companies like Grail, Gardend, Freenome, where the idea is you can take a blood test and be able to see. DNA that's been sloughed off by the cancer, but we're talking about the Holy Grail, that's what I call the Grail, which I always found hysterical, at stage zero, one, two, so pre-symptom, you go and get it and you go get a test annually, right? And you're mm-hmm. basically getting this. And we've spent so long searching for the cure for cancer. And I think when most people hear the cure for cancer, they have their mind, okay, it's at some stage of cancer, you go take magic you know, pill or shot and the cancer's gone. Well, if we move the diagnosis to stage zero, that's the cure. Like all the things <laughs> that we do are powerful enough that I don't need the magic pill that's going to be able to do that. So yeah. that type of technology I think is really interesting. And Incredible. so the consumerization piece is, okay, you see, you know, I'll take the negative side. The reason everybody was getting into why Theranos was able to do what it did mm-hmm. is you see a lot what, of Theranos, Elizabeth. Yes. Elizabeth Holmes. Oh my God. The reason she's able to do that she did is because the need that yeah. she was trying to, that she was going after yeah. was a need. You have, I mean, we can talk about, you know, Amazon buying one medical and CVS, uh, you know, integrating with Aetna and then. They were also trying to buy one medical and then buying Signify mm-hmm. and Walgreens buying, um, oh, I just dropped the, the name of the other one. But like, but they're all getting into home care. They're all getting into the retail space. Yep. So the fact is like where that front door is for your primary care is starting to change. One of the big moments that happened for me, I'm talking a little off air, you know, I've got three small kids. Mm-hmm. Anybody who's had small kids, you can diagnose pink eye. You know what it looks like. You're, this is <laughs> by the 15th time it's happened. I don't need a doctor to tell me what pink eye looks like, right? And so this was about a year ago. My youngest clearly had pink eye. It was like a Saturday, and we're like, oh, God, I got to go find an urgent care and do all this. And my wife remembered that I had Teladoc, do our insurance. Mm-hmm. 
from the moment that we filled out the paperwork to the moment that he had drops in his eyes was two hours. Why would I do anything else ever again? So, you know, we're having the model changing both with the patient and the payer, people paying. We have more preventative. Mm-hmm. Just this how you engage. I mean, the fact that, sure, great. Pink eye with a standard webcam the doctor could see and diagnose. We're having amazing things with the smartphones, new sensors coming out. There's lots of all different kinds of opportunities mm-hmm. in that consumerization that is able to really change it. And for me, the big thing is also you have like business model changes mm-hmm. that come along with that. Like mm-hmm. whether I just, we treat the insurance like actual insurance. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, one of the big things that I I like that's been disruptive in this case is, especially here in Austin, we've seen like Everly Health has brought together e-commerce and lab testing, right? Let's get checked. Row. There's a lot of these kind of brought it together. The biggest thing that I think comes out of something like that is getting back to the, to the business model macro changes is if your XYZ, you know, doctor or hospital is like, okay, you need to go get a cholesterol test. Well, how much is it? Well, I can't tell you until you go through all the insurance pieces and that. Well, I know I can just go online and it's $30. How much is this? Oh, well, I can't tell you and all this. I'm going to go get it online. And we we talk a lot about the problems of price transparency. Mm -hmm. Competition is going to drive price transparency real quick as soon as I start buying the test over here rather than with, you know, my primary care or my payer, right? Oh, I cannot wait. That would be magic. So it's – so I think that's those kind of changes that are coming in consumerization. And I think, look, we're obviously in some sort of recession, economic headwinds, whatever magic word you want to use for describing right now. I think we're now in that consolidation mode. You know, a lot of a lot of these companies have gone through some layoffs. You know, they all kind of started from different places. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was always the – I always found it funny. When, when I was at BD, it was always like we need to turn into a tech company before the tech companies turn into healthcare companies. And as if you look at that happened, it's not really been – you know, I'm, Google is still in health in some way. I don't really, you know, see how – right – um, Microsoft is in health. I mean, they just bought Nuance, but they're, again, they're not really in it. They're kind of in that backend infrastructure. The people who've really got into the healthcare arena are Walgreens, CVS. Amazon is obviously doubling down with everything that they're doing, but they're acting more like the Walgreens, Walmarts than they are the Googles and Apples in this case. And so I think all of that combined and now having the kind of tele- Teladoc and Everly Health and Let's Get Checked in Row. Mm-hmm. You're going to create, you know, you're going to have six or seven of them. And mm-hmm. um, there was a great article by Andreessen Horowitz, the big VC firm, that the next big multi-trillion dollar company was in consumer health and being able to kind of vertically integrate all of that, that I can go and actually deal with my health in a way that is not as mm-hmm. complicated. I think the way they put it was think of like United Healthcare Group meets Apple's customer experience. Like mm. it's an interesting thing to kind of pull together. Wow. I can definitely see how Elizabeth, what that thermon, that concept is exactly what people are looking for. Right. So if you actually, yeah, if you could do a, if I go into a Walgreens and I could do a test, whatever it is in an hour and get it done because it's close by, like that's what they wanted. Mm -hmm. Right. And that's why she was able to, now she was a complete fraud in what they were doing. Oh my God. (laughs) Um, But there are a number of companies that are getting into that type of, you know, quick, fast, accurate testing. Mm-hmm. They're just doing it from a place of actual science and mm-hmm. technology, right? Which is what we want. Yes. So that's the two. And then the third is I'm here. 
-hmm. right? So I moved here. One of the reasons is seeing the opportunity space for us in the bio and health sector, right? Mm -hmm. And so very focused on the Austin and broadly Texas environment. And I think that we have unique opportunities here, mm -hmm. right? I think one of them is the fact that we are a large enough state to create a super region ecosystem. You know, Dallas, Houston, Austin, San Antonio are all growing ecosystems that are large enough to have different capabilities that can interact with each other. Mm -hmm. I think California is obviously the only other state that has enough multiple hubs. Now, coming from there, I can tell you that Look, I obviously knew people in L.A. and I knew people in San Francisco, but there is almost no integration between those two industries, those two, uh, the three regions, right? Mm -hmm. When I announced that I was in Austin on LinkedIn, I'm like, hi, I'm here. You know, I'd love to meet people. I met people in Dallas, Houston, and San Antonio without trying. So it was already there. There was already this, there's this, you know, co-opetition that goes on. I think one of the problems in California with Silicon Valley being what it is, there's a, there can be a bit of an inferiority complex with the other regions. <laughs> I'm sure this isn't 100% true, but I haven't met a lot of people in Austin, or Houston, or Dallas who are like, man, I wish I was like one of the other Texas cities. Like, no, <laughs> they, they, don't, they don't say that, right? Yeah, no, no, um, no. So there's that, there's that strong sense of identity, but then you have the, you know, you have the like, but I'll work with Dallas. You know, I want to work with people in Dallas. I want to work with people in Houston. Mm -hmm. And all with under the same, you know, since you don't cross state borders, mm -hmm. it's a single regulatory regime, a single tax regime. There have been other, you know, we explored on ours, right? We've talked about with the heartland, the super southeast of these other kind of big mega regions that are possible. Look, I think Nashville's great and there's lots of things that we yeah. can learn and so forth. I don't know what a super southeast means of like, okay, so Austin and Nashville we're in different states. What is that connectivity? What, what kind of connectivity? What does being a super region mean there? So mm -hmm. I think that opportunity is is really unique. And then for us, kind of when you talk back to my kind of my three pieces of the thesis, mm -hmm. I think Austin and it being kind of in the middle of the triangle per se uh, is a nice is a nice metaphor in that I think it is the c convergent technology. It is these things kind of coming together. You have things like, we talk about Everly Health, you have Wheel, which is, you know, really taking software infrastructure and remote to these to doctor's offices. You have Elego, which is, you know, a next generation CRO, closed loop AI, which is really about clinical decision support. So all the things you kind of think about that are not traditional drug and device kind of companies. If, if I look around, not that they aren't going to be here and aren't going to be created here, but I think that that really is, you know, I, I was in Houston yesterday, right? Like um, that's, I think we Houston's bread and butter with the TMC that's there mm -hmm. and all the amazing stuff and our ability to define our secret sauce. And then and that, this is both in the bio sector and then just Austin as a whole. Um, one of the things that drives me crazy is the whole, I don't personally like the Silicon Hills um, nomenclature because we always oh so austin has been known as silicon hills and oh. then if you think about also there's silk i think new york was silicon alley san diego was silicon beach and so a lot of this I'm like why do we have to compare with them we can just be ourselves exactly so we can just be the awesome weird weird one yeah was, was once once you do that a hundred percent was once you do that comparison you're like well i'm gonna be why don't i just go to the real one right yeah so, and I understand ours actually has a little bit to do with our history in semiconductors. So it's a little more real in the actual word silicon versus being the, um, we're just going to copy Silicon Valley like everybody else did. But, uh, so I think that's, but we have, we have advanced manufacturing here. We have all of these unique things that we can kind of bring together. And I think that's what makes, mm. 
me really excited about being in Austin, uh, both as just someone living here, also starting to invest here, mm-hmm. um, and also starting to involve both, you know, as a way to help shift the, shift the narrative with the podcast mm-hmm. to I just recently joined the board of Bio Austin CTX so to really help kind of bring together that critical mass in our sector. Mm-hmm. And um, speaking of investment, what stage of entrepreneur that you are looking for, you are supporting? Yeah, so I'm, you know, called an angel investor. Mm-hmm. I hate, personally, I hate the, you start having the, the these phrases of stages because they've stopped having all meaning of like, Angel, pre-seed, seed, C plus, you know, oh <laughs> uh, second round seed, A. So uh, I stole this from, uh, you know, one of the, the companies that I invested in, just pre-series A. <laughs> we'll just call it that and looking at the different opportunities. And obviously, even then, there's different sizes. I mean, if you look at um, Huge, yeah. Yeah, uh, Altos Labs, which was the, um, uh, the big kind of longevity play that like um, – Jeff Bezos was a part of and all that. They had a $3 billion raise for Series A. So I'm like, I, the term doesn't mean anything in it's these cases. Healthcare, yeah. Yeah. I actually was re- reading um, an article by PitchBook yesterday, mm-hmm. and they've just created this new class called uh, Venture Growth because they were like, yeah, we used to say like C and beyond was late stage, but a, C, a Series C and a Series F is very, very different in the things that you were doing and raising. And so they, they've now tacked on this other thing because we've seen, you know, mm. companies have stayed private longer, mm-hmm. right? And so you're, you're, you're at profitability stage. It's kind of a whole different thing. So mm-hmm. I, I like, pre, you know, pre-Series A um, and really it is it, – it gets into – since I do both pre-revenue and things that have revenue, mm-hmm. it tends to be a little harder for me to kind of draw out like this is the exact metrics, types of things mm-hmm. that a company – but it, if you're kind of hitting those things and are interesting – um, I mean, examples like two companies that I kind of talk about a lot uh, in my investment portfolio. So one is called Plano. It is kind of back in this consumerization space. It is a multi-omic platform that is able to – so the problem right now we talked about earlier with the grails and those companies is – and it's not a problem if you're Illumina – is they can only be run on a $1.5 million machine. So they got to go to get, you know, you got to do the central lab. I take a swab, I send it in. It's a couple of weeks later, right? We talked about earlier the Theranos in uh, the demand that it was going. The CVSs and the Walgreens of the world would like those types of tests to be able to be run in, in-house, right? And so, you know, Plano is this new multi-omics platform that is able to, obviously, if all the technology is able to go, is able to run those types of assays, but a lot faster and in that type of setting that you actually can do it, right? So I think, so that's interesting. It kind of hits that, both that technology and that consumerization. And then another company I'm invested in called Centrillo is, it is a digital health, a digital stroke prevention platform. So this is their ability right now. They have an AI underpinning to pick, um, to predict reoccurrent stroke, not like the next day, but far enough in advance that you're like, okay, we can. We need to change what your drugs are on. You need to change your your diet, whatever the things is. Mm-hmm. They've got then the wellness plans to kind of go underneath that. They've got a coach and all that to allow you to kind of keep going. And so they are starting off in kind of like the B two C model, but building out the clinical evidence mm-hmm. so that you can then go and be prescribed. So that kind of again hits all those kind of different mm-hmm. pieces that conversion state. So. Love Those that. are the stories that really were interesting to me and kind of were like, yeah, this is this is the kinds of things. And I have, a, you know, a number of, I'm invested in total in, through funds of about 50 different companies. Yeah. Um, but like, I think those tend to be the kinds of things that really kind of get me going. 
How exciting! Truly having a vision to impacting the the future, how consumer how we interact with different technology, and so brilliant. It's it's fun. Like I like you know I, that was the thing is when early realization is. You know, when I looked at all the jobs that I'd had, you know, mm-hmm. I, I ran product management uh, at the last company I was at. But before that, I usually ran away from product management uh, and liked a lot more helping on the strategic direction. Like, where do we want to be in one, two, five years? What are the capabilities? What are the capital requirements needed to go mm-hmm. do that? And that was kind of when I realized that, yeah, being the advisor investor, right, coming on and saying, like, these are the questions I want to help you answer. Mm-hmm. You guys are building amazing stuff, mm-hmm. right? And you are in love on day one with those products and how they work. So it's it's an amazing people that I get to get, interact with. You're such a natural visionary. You can see from where it was to where it could be. And I think that's an amazing skill set to be that advisor, to be that investor supporting entrepreneurs on that journey. It kind of comes almost back to the the storytelling element, the, what, one of the things I realized, so I didn't talk so much about that I ended up being a writing major, right? Mm. And it's funny because it's come back up in the last couple of weeks in, in an interesting way. So telling stories and crafting those visions is kind of something I was always innately able to do, right? And uh, which was always fun when then I actually put it to use for a little while. Um, but it's an interesting point of where that skill set comes in. So I don't know if you've been playing with chat GPT at all. This is the new open AI um, kind of taking the world by storm. So you could ask it questions. You can tell it to write whatever you want it to write. Oh, yeah. So you have that, which is the, which is based on a language model. And at the same time, you have the, the image generation ones, right? And I didn't kind of realize this until the last week or so, but just how differently the visual artistic mind works versus the written one. I've become really good at ChatGPT and crafting and changing things. I can't, for the life of me, get the thing I want in my brain to uh, out into the uh, the image generator ones because obviously the language that I'm putting oh. together isn't the right language because I just don't see in that way. So, are you saying that we are either writer or we think in pictures? At least for at least for <laughs> me, the the way to describe the pictures in a way that the standard artists do, which is how the model was created, mm-hmm. just seems to be outside of my realm. So I was actually for a, uh, a blog post I recently did, I was trying to come up with this like AI predicting the future image. I was having all sorts of issues. So where things really got in a circle, I used chat GPT to help me come up with a prompt for, you know, I think I use stable diffusion in this case. So, right, like, okay, I'm using, a, I'm using one AI to come up with a thing for the other. And it was, uh, <laughs> it was a little, uh, a little kind of crazy from that. But I've, it's, it's been a, it's been a really crazy and fun toy. But like, mm-hmm. back to these things, like, how do these new tools, can they start playing into mm-hmm. like the health sector? Mm-hmm. So it was really interesting. It was kind of using it as, you know, almost like a search engine. Now, I know the data model that it's based off of ended in September 21, but was asking it questions like, you know, what would you prescribe for the, what is the standard prescription dose for this and seeing what just what came out, right? Mm-hmm. Or asking it questions about, you know, what's next in the Austin Innovation ecosystem. It was fascinating, you know, and this was what my, my post was about, is it got specific. It was like, what's next for us is AI and ML, remote work and gig work and health tech. That's very specific. It was. And what was what was fascinating as I started looking at this is 
it's obviously taking stuff that's out there. So that gets a little bit closer to, is it a tool that is looking at the majority consensus loudest? I don't know what right, the right word is to use there, mm-hmm. but be able to see like, okay, here, here's what's going on versus there have been other – and the, people are always talking about those things. Mm-hmm. I've asked it other questions and realized that the more generic answer you get back, it is almost an opportunity space. Because if it's a very, very generic answer, that means nobody's really asking this question. Like what? Like what question you asked about generic answer? Now we're all curious. (laughs) So the question is, and this is one of the things that um, we've talked about our podcast, and we haven't talked about Austin Next very much, is that we're kind of shifting to in 2023, is when I look at the the literature out there, Steve Case's Rise of the Rest, Brad Feld's um, Startup Communities, they're all very, very focused on how do you go from nothing to something in a startup ecosystem? I'm like, that's great. There's a lot of research. There's things you kind of very clear cut pillars that you need to go. Mm-hmm. There's, I don't know, 10, 20 cities, Austin being one of them, Nashville, North Carolina, San Diego, Seattle. We're all something. We're all thriving. We're all we're we're past that stage. Um, when we talk, it was really funny when we talked to Steve Case on the show, he asked, he, we asked, he said like, we did this bus tour about all the rise of the rest. And he's like, yeah, we didn't go to Austin. I'm like, why didn't you go to Austin? He's like, well, we didn't need to, we, we weren't going to serve as a catalytic event, us showing up and getting these things in Austin versus XYZ city, right. Where they actually go and do and kind of change, change things up. And so you have all of these kind of thriving ecosystems, but then if you were to pull people on the street and say, what are the superstar? You'd get Silicon Valley, you'd get London, New York, Boston. So clearly there's something else going on between the thriving and the superstar cities. And so that's a question we're really interested in, obviously, because we want Austin to kind of become one of those superstars. Mm -hmm. So kind of circling back now, when I asked ChatGPT, what's the difference between a thriving and a superstar? The answer was about as generic as you like, you know, <laughs> thrivings have, you know, support entrepreneurship and, you know, uh, and have great talent and these kind of things. A superstar is exponentially better at thriving. And so I'm like, <laughs> didn't really tell me anything. So it it at least answered our question that mm-hmm. that's not something that people are looking at a lot because there's when you look at the, you know, especially post COVID and mm-hmm. the people moving around, it's a lot more about like, how do I get something how do i be part of this kind of startup community versus the mm. you know it's only like 20 cities maybe at most that are asking this next thing about how do i really become one of the like the long term mm-hmm. superstar cities what a geek i a <laughs> 100% along when you're saying i just imagine you and your wife have this you know massive sprashy and create this honeymoon destination and this is just exactly that i love I feel like everything you do, Jason, you are so, so vested into it. And you have so much light and joy when you truly, you know, invest in that next generation, the next technology. How can we better the entire humanity's experience? And that's just truly inspiring and liberating. It's it's fun stuff. I mean, I said, like, you know, yeah. if, if you just look at all the people kind of playing with ChatGPT right now, it's like, okay, I could spend hours just messing with this <laughs> to see how it is. And it's also, it's also when you get that killer app. Like, that was, yeah. it was an interesting... I was listening to you saw me in the podcast. I was listening to a podcast on the drive up here, yeah. talking about ChatGPT. And the interesting part about it was 
the language model that they had de- that OpenAI had developed mm-hmm. has been around for about a year now. What changed last week is the user interface. You can go on a website and it's just a prompt and you just type in. And so suddenly, and it's free. And so suddenly everybody can use and that becomes mm-hmm. the, the, we get back to the kind of the, the next trillion dollar company is, uh, you know, United Health versus Apple. Like we have so much great bio and health innovation mm-hmm. and the consumer, the consumer and customer patient experience and the business models and oh, is God awful. And like, that's where a lot of the thing needs to be, where the innovation needs to be happening mm-hmm. more so than just, I've got an amazing new, you know, mm-hmm. procedural medical device, just fantastic. We need new drugs. We need new devices. Mm-hmm. But I think there's this middle ground of like actual service, customer experience, product, uh, you know, portfolio innovation that I mm-hmm. think can really kind of change the game more. I love that. So with so much passion in the investing world, Jason, I'm curious now Flashback to that moment, 2020-ish, right. you discover, wow, investing is truly the jam for you. Now, is this everything that you wanted in life? Is this the the grill, the holy grill that you would like to spend your rest of your time? So I'd say yes. Mm. It had. I mean, there have been interesting bumps along the road. Had to, you know, during this time... First time I had to deal with a down round and what that means. Ouch. Um, <laughs> so like, okay, it's, this is d- different. Um, you know, and it's been a learning experience, but, mm-hmm. you know, it's absolutely something I really enjoy doing. I really, mm-hmm. wh- whether it's doing things as part of the day job and interacting and catalyzing innovation, mm-hmm. whether it's doing it as an angel investor, however it comes, or just doing it to help build community, like I'm trying to do a Bio Austin and Austin Next, mm. is... All of those pieces and coming together to make, you know, thriving innovation ecosystem and companies mm. is is something that I really enjoy. Why is that so important for you, Jason? It comes down to that. I think that, I mean, in many ways, I'm a techno, a techno optimist, right? I think yeah. that's how we're going to be able to change things. I mean, getting back to the to what I was saying earlier, when I look at healthcare, right? Mm-hmm our arguments tend to be on just two sides, right? It's either the pure, I made a better balance trap or the who pays, right? The highly political and all of that. And there's so much innovation that can kind of change that. And, you know, and especially that was something why, look, there's nothing against SAS, CPG, all the people that are doing that. But that was the other part that also just attracted me to health, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. Is that we can actually go and, you know, we can use the C word cure now that we couldn't use before. We couldn't use before. Because we didn't have cures. Like, you generally oh. didn't, right? <laughs> like, it was always like, okay, this is maybe doing something chronic, but like, you know, example, like, you mean, I mean, sickle cell anemia, which is, you know, a, a terrible, uh, you know, blood disease that is, from my understanding, the genetic component of it is relatively straightforward. And so there now are CRISPR, which is the, the gene editing tool that was invented a couple of years ago. There's a, a trial going on. It's curing people. Like these new genetic um, uh, medicines, and like that's a that's an amazing thing. Back we said like when we looked at the holy grail of cancer screening, yeah. right? Is like with early early diagnosis, it's not an issue anymore, right? Stage zero. So what? Stage zero. Yeah, like stage said. zero. Yes, and so yeah, it's like it has an effect, and if we if we can you know have people live longer, healthier, mm-hmm. the whole you know. Whatever you think about longevity, but these health span kind of mm-hmm. I- increasing out, 
you have that then knock on productivity innovation perspective, like mm -hmm. more people able to build and create more things. I mean, I'm not as concerned about um, the long-term energy mm -hmm. situations. I think we'll innovate our way out. Eventually we'll be in a situation of energy abundance. And then, then what happens, right? Mm -hmm. Then what can we do when, you know, things are really cheap and how can we kind of grow and all that? And I think that it's our way to kind of, our way out of all of these problems is to innovate, right? And to innovate and to be able to, work with that change. Brilliant. Jason, I'm curious, you know, with all the passion and all the dedication you have for healthcare, for innovations, and say 100 years past, we all just went to this magical place and they haven't. Uh, what do you want the world to remember you by, Jason? <sighs> if you have this one saying or one word on the graystone. One, hopefully, you know, good husband and good father. That's probably the, the closest thing is to making sure that, you know, they're for my family. Um, you know, it really, again, it gets back to like, it's catalyzing innovation, right? From the purely selfish legacy type of thing, if you can check off those world-changing um, things that happened in the 100 years from now, right? And say like, look, I had a small part in helping them get to the next stage, grow and, you know, become something, right? That's, that's the thing. As, as I, I realized early on, I said that during that shift, I thought I wanted to be the builder and there is something that I want to be building and these are the kinds of things, but it's, it's building the, catalyst, the catalyzing engine. Mm -hmm. It's not building the products. It's not building those things. There are people who have that type of mentality that I don't, mm -hmm. but being able to give them the rocket fuel, mm -hmm. that's, that's what I want to be remembered for. So incredible. I think... Having that discernment to knowing who we are and how do we serve on this planet is so important. And you had that. I appreciate that. So brilliant. What's next for you, uh, Jason? Also, where can people find you? What's next? Well, uh, you can find me. Look, I post a lot on LinkedIn, uh, the Austin Next Podcast, which yes. is you can find it at austinnextpodcast.com or Apple, Spotify, all of them is always a great way where we're again we're exploring it's actually a partnership we talked earlier it's a partnership with my father which is a whole uh, a whole fun thing to do and you know we are we've been interviewing interesting people um we think we've overlapped on a few of the people that we've interviewed which is always fun it's a small world here uh and then yeah looking forward to next year kind of driving into those uh mm -hmm. those other things so mm -hmm. incredible so my last question is um any piece of advice you will share with entrepreneurs who are maybe uh looking at those innovation looking at those uh, incredible changes for the future uh, what would you tell her or him before they come to you for the for the advice for the support so because of the types of innovations that i work in it's very technical and science driven people now you back to the earlier part you mentioned like i have a vision very kind of deliberate. I want to change it slightly to what you said. It's a story. And I think that especially in the science-based fields, the lack of trying, of building out a cohesive story or narrative mm. that resonates with investors, customers, and employers, or employees, yeah. that's, that's the big thing that I think a lot of people are missing. I remember I was at like an innovation day and this was like their CT, some company, I don't remember the name, their CTO talking. It was usually the CEO. And I remember seeing the guy next to me going afterwards. I'm like, I don't know what just happened. Like, <laughs> I think I was in a scientific presentation. I don't know what the company does. I don't know what the problem is. And even little things. And I, I, I kind of joke about this a lot. 
obviously in a in this kind of things that I see, there's a lot of data. Mm-hmm. So charts and graphs, no problem with that. Mm-hmm. But some base, just a little thing like if you're going to show me a bar chart, you need to be able to say is high good or bad? <laughs> you're just like he, my bar chart shows this. Does it? I just see six <laughs> bars, some higher than uh, lower than others. Like just oh, the I ability to kind of tell these types of stories yeah. that kind of resonate because a lot of times back in this, mm-hmm. the expert on the scientific underpinning of whatever it is we're talking about mm-hmm. is likely the person who's pitching me. Mm. So like, I don't, you need to tell me why this is important, why mm-hmm. this is a problem, how you're going to solve it. Um, this is one of the problems I, I tend to have a little bit. I'm not anti-blockchain, but most of the times that I've seen blockchain and health, it's these really grandiose stories. But again, like, but the problem you described is change management, not a technology problem, right? So understanding mm-hmm. who the stakeholders are and being able to craft that story of mm-hmm. here's how we're going to do it. Here's why it resonates with customers, employees, and investors. Mm-hmm. And I think that's that's a an underutilized component, especially at the early, you know, angel and seed mm-hmm. stage. Brilliant. You know, Albert Einstein used to say, if we cannot explain to ourselves simply, we simply don't understand it. There's a reason everybody knows who Einstein is and not <laughs> the person sitting next to him. So I, I love that perspective. Oftentimes, founders are so passionate about their technology, their solution, yet they did not know who they are speaking to. And yep. they, they, they just think, oh, if my idea is I, I cool enough, the customer going to come. But I think... That's not the way the world works. <laughs> <laughs> this is a different kind of era that we have to articulate a clear, compelling vision and story so then we can let others to see the world that we see. Because you know, I really believe that we are just one pitch away, one story away from changing the world. And our story has power to do that. Love it. Amazing. Well, wow, Jason. Uh, thank you so much for being here today. I love the journey. I love, I, I was, you know, I know you, but I feel like I really understand an even deeper part of your journey, how you come here. And I truly just impressed by how intentional, how thought-provoking you even are in every single moment. And I can see how you're rising up as a leader today, become that catalyst, become that uh, truly the support behind all the innovation that you are supporting. And, you know, I just, I think that the world truly is a better place when a visionary like you to stand behind those super incredible, uh, wonderful founders and technology and really bring that innovation to the world. So thank you for everything you do. I appreciate it. Thank you so much for the kind words. Of course. Well, thank you, everybody, for tuning in today. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I do. And I cannot wait to see you all next week. Bye, guys. Mm-hmm.